Hello there, world. Hope all is good. Please don't forget to breathe and enjoy life while going through hell. Mistakes happen, yes. People get hurt, lost, forgotten. But that's the darkness about a man that just can't control what really is going on with his soul. Hey, friends, welcome back to the Protect Your Noggin podcast. For today's show, our theme is listening to the voices of the unheard. I'll warn you, there are a few things you should know about. Just in case you don't want to listen to this particular episode, there are some uh, expletives. We have uh, a brief mention of sexual assault at a Christian college campus. And we're also going to be looking, and this is the, the thing that's very fascinating, I think, about this show. We're going to be looking at the journals of a person who calls himself the Grim Reaper. And this person's journals were found in our stolen truck that we just got to reunite with. We'll tell you a little bit about that, but they are uh, very interesting. They get pretty dark. Uh, I think ultimately we're talking about healing, but we're going to go deep into some, some tough conversations. So if you're cool with that, stay with us. We're so glad you're here. Let's go. Right, we are back, and we have seen and heard a lot of different stuff in the uh, the time since we've recorded our last podcast. Last night, I want to start there. We went to see the Mystery Box Theater. Sydney, you've listened to that podcast. We haven't up until this point. <laughs> so yes, it's a really great podcast. So there's all kinds of different stories of people's experiences um, related to sex and their lives and building self-esteem or figuring out who they are. So um, a couple of the episodes, I know one is about a trans couple having a baby and just all the hate that they received from people online saying that they could never be good parents and um, just all sorts of things like that. So they're kind of speaking out and advocating um, for just acceptance of families and let's see, what else? There was um, one lady who had identified as a lesbian, and then she ended up um, marrying this guy who was like, you know, I fully understand you're a lesbian, and, like, I'm a lesbian too. <laughs> and so, um, you know, kind of just untraditional, um, non-gender conforming relationships in different ways. So it's a really good podcast. But then the show we had never been to before, it's basically they pick a lineup of speakers and everyone shares their personal stories. So there was this one lady who was struggling with endometriosis her whole life. This was last night um, we saw. Yes. She got her period when she was 10 and um, basically felt like some kind of abnormal freak because of her amount of pain. And it's almost like she was being called hysterical by everyone around her because it's like, oh, it's just your period. Deal with it. And, of course, you know, it was interesting it she mentioned the history of hysterical. Hysteria related to the womb, the uterus, and the way in which for a couple thousand years women are associated with insanity, that feminine principle of going crazy and they they linked it literally to their hysteria or or their womb right. in this case she's she's suffering this and 
the bigger issue is they didn't believe her. They didn't believe her, and she would go to all these different doctors, and they would just tell her, oh, nothing's wrong with you, it's fine. She had been to a series of specialists. Eventually, she decided to want to get her fallopian tubes and um, ovaries and uterus removed just to not be in pain. And then she had a lot of trouble finding a doctor that would even do this for her because of her age. Um, kind of like this societal expectation that everyone's supposed to have babies or something. And she's like, I don't want that life. And, you know, so that was a struggle well, for her. And I think for her, I mean, it, it was more a matter of the other piece of her life was so debilitating that if it meant that she had to have a hysterectomy so that she had a life, right. uh, then that was, that was what she was wanting to do. You know, that, that for her, the, um, uh, you know, the lack of being able to have like a child over your own body. Too. Yeah. Well, I'm not, but it wasn't, um, what was more important to her is to have some decent amount of quality of life. Yes. And so she wouldn't even want to, couldn't even conceive of having a child when she couldn't even, you know, she herself had suffered so much pain that she couldn't even control. Like, how can you, you know? Right. Like, so what came first was her even having some semblance of a normal life existence without this pain. And what to me is always striking is I understand why we have certain rules or things or guidelines, uh, with our medical system. But when people do know what they need for their own body in order to have any sort of, you know, decent quality of life while they have their time here and are told by other people, no, that you're not allowed that is really frustrating because, you know, what kind of life or existence is it? If, if she's just at home doubled in pain, she couldn't even like, she would lose out on going anywhere because she didn't have to cancel plans last minute because she just would be in so much pain that she herself, you know, w- wasn't even able to have any sexual pleasure because she was in so much pain that it actually her body, it hurt her. Yeah. Rather, she you know? described it. The feeling is a razor blade. Yeah. Like slicing her ovaries and stuff. And so what I, you know, what I don't understand in society is this, this thought of other people thinking that they know what's better for you. It's a big theme. And this particular theme, I, I just unfortunately didn't know that that would be a thing. That is, she needed a hysterectomy. She asked for a hysterectomy and nobody would give it to her because the primary thing she's supposed to be as a woman is somebody who is able to breed, mm-hmm. somebody who's yeah. able to have babies. And they just couldn't conceive of that. And what was fascinating is she took a male friend with her. And because the male friend said, yeah, let's go ahead and do this, then she was allowed to do it. I mean, this is the 21st century. This has happened a year ago. She needed a man to consent to be able to to do that. Yeah. And I think overall, so that was one story. I think it was very helpful. But I thought that, that it really relates to the things that we're interested in here on the podcast. If we're saying that we need to help ourselves and teach others to think what they think they should think, to do what they know they should do and to feel what they feel, that theme of people denying, especially here, women's experiences and their physical pain and saying it's all in your head is, I think, an important piece to the puzzle because all of the abusive situations that we've been looking at over the last few years on the show tend to be related to that, that you know that something's wrong. Your voice is shouting out or crying out that you've got this thing that's wrong and people say, nope, that's not true. And I think that's a, that's a big theme even for some of the other stories we're looking at. And I thought it was a very 
emancipatory experience. People were there and there was something about it. It was almost, I was going to say churchy again, in that people were gathering together for mutual support. Mm -hmm. There was another lady, her name is Allison Moon, but she teaches a workshop. She had a really cool pantsuit, like full flowers. And she teaches a workshop on strap-ons and she had described one of these workshops she did where she had noticed this kind of 90-year-old man who was just sleeping in the corner of her class. And then after the class, he like came up to her and said how much he enjoyed the workshop and um, kind of opened up to her a little bit about his personal life. He had been seeing a dominatrix of sorts for many years and all the while had hidden this other side of himself from his wife because he felt as if she would never accept him. And, um, you know, he's kind of lamenting, what if I had just shared my feelings with her and how different would our lives be? Um, And that experience that he had with the the dominatrix gal was while he was um, serving... In the army. In World War II or, yeah, in France. II. Right. And so, so a very then, long time ago. This guy was like 90. And when he left that area, then he came back, you know, then found his wife, married, had a family. So everything, you know, like. That's what he had to he, do. He kind of put that, you know, other piece of him aside, yeah. um, viewing it as unacceptable in some way and um, never, never even trusting or being able to talk to his wife about yeah. that, that, that he found enjoyment in that sort of sexual play. Right. And and I think that was a big theme of it all because people just wanted to be heard. They wanted to be able to talk frankly about things without judgment. And because of that, this was the this was the last ever mystery box show. Mystery box show. So we got to see we for us mm-hmm. it was the first and it was the last. And they handed out cards so that everybody could do their confessions. They read little confessions up there and they read them, but there were just so many that they couldn't, of course, get even close to uh, scratching the surface of them all. And I think it was that piece that was really powerful for people. They just wanted to be able to have that somewhere out in the universe. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And then, and, you know, and I think just sometimes the ability to hear people's really human stories makes you also think and understand that your own, like your own sexuality is it's normal (laughs) (laughs) in a way like there's gonna be there's also you know there's weird crazy things that happen or whatever but one of the I think most damaging things uh especially in the Christian community was sort of the denial of uh masturbation as being a thing yeah making everything that's sexually normal abnormal you know and then that turns you know then it, it then it basically start you start to feel like somehow you're this you know, deviant sinner that God is, you know, looking upon you and judging you and you're going to go to hell. And this is just normal bodily things that happen as we start to go through puberty. We start to, you know, uh, you know, usually we come by our first moment of pleasure by accident. And then sometimes we get shamed for that. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is deeply traumatizing. Yeah. And it, you internalize it. And a lot of people carry that with them their entire lives. And even well into adulthood, that's still causing them. Right. You know, and so many people. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. It's just so widespread that everybody, not everybody, but so many people are in that space of shame and detachment from their own bodies. bodies yeah. And so the unheard voices being heard, being able to provide a platform for that is very healing, whatever the conversation is. It's just being able to open that up. 
thought that was a pretty that was a pretty uh, interesting event last night. Another thing that happened before that is I got a job. Yes, and I'm, yes. I was really excited about this. So on Wednesday, I spent all Wednesday between classes. I realized this is the end of the semester. I guess I got to figure out what I'm going to do next. And so I put out the, you know, put out the feelers, applied for a few jobs. And I got to me something that I would say was like my dream of all of them. Right. Mm-hmm. There were some, some positions I was looking at uh, at community colleges and other things that would pay the bills and would be good. But I ended up at this school called a Renaissance school and it is just everything that uh, I had kind of been envisioning for what I wanted to do in the future as it relates even to this podcast. And that is think what you think you should think, feel what you feel, trust your perceptions, but also be able to be happy and free. In, and I've always wanted to teach, and this is going to be for me, working with middle school students. And my very first teaching gig in Philadelphia was where I started a, a middle school program it was a private school, uh, non-traditional in West Philadelphia. And these were students that, um, that were not fitting in with the public school system. And they needed to be able to be in this mentoring kind of situation where they could find out that they were artists and scholars. So the school where I'm going to be working, uh, just to give you an example of what it looks like, um, n- next year when I get started, we're going to be looking at transcendence. And so I'm going to be brainstorming ways to put into the, to the curriculum uh, creative projects where we see how we can find there is something that is more than the sum of its parts. Uh, that idea of transcendence is pretty cool. Um, but the, the one that they did that really made me realize I wanted to be a part of this was some students, these middle school students, were looking at mental health issues. So instead of hiding from these, especially as an educator, sometimes you just don't want to touch sensitive subjects because it, it can bring up a lot of issues and, and you want to do it sensitively. But they were looking at mental health issues and it, it, it was like this integrative thing where they did art projects representing the different diagnoses. And they also did statistical and mathematical work related to it. So instead of tests and things, they, they focus on projects. And I can tell you, as I just walked into this space, my blood pressure went down. My, my anxiety was decreased. And I just saw beauty everywhere. These students were creating amazing art. And I said, do you have to have some kind of artistic skill to be admitted? They said, no. It's just this is what comes about when you start to think differently about art and life and, and your scholarship. Uh, and you're doing this project that is meaningful. It, it answers a big question that it can really bring students to a place where they're, they're just flourishing. And so, for instance, they would learn, you know, a lot of times we'll say, oh, I'm OCD about this. Well, are you? Are you actually OCD? Is, are you self-diagnosing? Or are you looking at things that maybe are part of what an actual diagnosis of OCD would be? Um, but you're looking at this now historically, looking at, you know, mental health with, mental health with Edgar Allan Poe and, and Vincent van Gogh, you know. And I realized that's exactly where I want to be. So well, I just want to report that I'm very excited about this. Yeah, new opportunity. And, and, and to your point about like with the OCD thing, uh, it just sort of reminds me because I know in my own family, there's some OCD tendencies, but it's also easier to sort of not necessarily, if it's not a true diagnosis, to write things off and label them. And then just accept that, oh, this is just part of who I am. I'm always going to check the front door three times before I go out. But what's actually underneath that problem may not be 
actually OCD or OCD could be a symptom of something else. And so by being able to not just label it, but try to understand it, then maybe you can get to what the root is and what causes you to want to double check the door, that kind of thing. And not self-diagnosing. And and free yourself from, because there's, there's a pain that comes with feeling that need, you know, it, that is a very real feeling sometimes for people. And I know for myself, like just double checking things, making sure, you know, that you, you did it, but it also can be very debilitating when you have to drive back home after you went five down, you know, five minutes yeah. down the block, you know, down the street or whatever to come back to make sure you lock the front door, you know, it can start getting in the way of you actually, you know, moving on anyway. So I, I yeah. think it's easy to just label things or pass it off of, of this is, ju- oh, this is just how it is, or this is just how I am. And you kind of can become, um, you know, like it can, it could start to get in the way of actual, you know, healthy functioning. So the podcast, the show they were normalizing conversations about sexuality here with the middle school i saw students being able to normalize conversations about mental health and all of a sudden because this was personal for people and because they were able to look at the narratives of famous historical figures who were wrestling with me- mental health issues it allowed for an open conversation that was very healing for the students themselves and i could just say I'll have to see, you know, when yeah. I get in and, 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 you know, I'm sure there's all sorts of things to unpack when we finally get into the teaching of it. And but the other, the other thing I'll mention really quickly is, um, from our, from sort of like seeing different school experiences through our own children, our youngest was involved in a program that was project based. And what I really appreciate about that whole program was when you're doing something through a project, then you have your certain deadlines and things. And, and what <laughs> what became very obvious, uh, uh, you know, with, with our youngest was just that their uh, procrastination was a huge thing. Yeah. And almost like kind of waiting to the last minute up to the deadlines for some of these things. And, you know, I don't, you know, being able to sort of see what is keeping you from starting something and, and being able to keep along and keep exploring it. I mean, it's very helpful. Uh, and, uh, I think that sometimes with the way that our modern school system is doing things with almost like so much handholding that when you get into college and there's less of it, I mean, you see almost always the majority of your students are going to turn in their paper the last minute. Yeah, just minutes before the midnight deadline yeah. of whatever deadline you that give happened them. Happened this Friday, yes. And you can keep <laughs> pushing back that deadline for them, you know. Mm-hmm. And but it still happens. And yeah. so there's something uh, as well as you know. You kind of would say, well, you know, go ahead and I want you to make your your point in your paper. I don't really care like how long it is, how long it is, or whatever. And that really was also very um, frightening. Yeah. And to students, because it's like, you want to be told that it's supposed to be double spaced, five pages, you know, this format, you know, and so then you have something to go to and look for. And I think that, that it's helpful when they're younger to maybe start that way so that they understand sort of what, you know, what, what makes up the parts of a paper or something like that. But being able to sort of approach something from a project and kind of like looking into researching, coming up with new ideas. I mean, that's invaluable for future jobs and yeah. and actual creative thinking and, and real problem solving and future exploration for creativity for any 
for our world. Like it's, you know, I right. think we need sort more of that kind of thinking Definitely. and less people that are just, um, able to just, uh, follow all of the rules and check off yeah. the boxes. It, schools so often teach us to be compliant mm -hmm. and this school I saw students that were happy and that's when I knew I wanted this job because you can, you get into a space and you can have all the right stuff on a website, but you've got to see, are the, are the kids happy? Are the faculty empowered and, and excited? And that idea of empowerment for students is exactly what I'm interested in. And so it's not even going to be like a job. I don't think. Cause I've even <laughs> walked into schools that the, the students are very well behaved, but they also seem a little afraid, Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and like, you feel like if they, you know, bump out a line or whatever that, you know, there's going to be consequences. And on this theme of voices, the whole point of narrating your own stories and putting these into good written format is, is both empowering and good for career and life later on, mm -hmm. you know, being able to be adaptable. So I really love that. That was really cool. One last side note on that. I'm sitting here and I was thinking about it and I was thinking about how, uh, how soothing it was for me to just imagine this new work environment. And all of a sudden you guys have the dog barking <laughs> and yeah. outside somebody shows up. It was almost delightful. This never happened to me. Yeah. So there's all of a sudden there's this lady and, and she says, you know, to Bendy, no worries. She's doing her job. And she goes, and I have mine to do. She's like, I've got flowers here for, for Jeff Mallinson. I was like, that's kind of a shock. I've who's never got flowers guys, before. What? Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure somebody's given me flowers or something, but no one sent me a delivery of flowers. Yeah. And so then it was just kind of like, well, who, you know, who'd this come from? You know? So yeah. <laughs> anyway, we bring the flowers over, over to Jeff and, uh, and then I just held them. Yeah. You held and I said, them. well, that's really nice because also nice. They're, they're not like the cool thing about the school is they're not that big on worrying about the contract itself. They said, we'll get you that. But this is like, all right, you're in. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then no, it was a nice note saying welcome to the family. Yeah. And that's really cool. It was really sweet. I, 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 so, hey, friends, thanks for all of your help. People uh, kind of sent me some leads and so forth. And so, uh, but uh, job search over now back to business. And then this also is going to give me the opportunity since I don't have anywhere to teach for a couple months can focus on the podcast. Lots of good things coming your way, friends. Another thing that happened um, in the news, I wanted to make sure we talked about uh, it briefly, was there's a small Christian college called Visible Music College. All right. It's a little, it's quirky. There's a Christian band called Skillet, and somebody from Skillet started this school. But the reason I wanted to mention the story that comes out of Visible Music College recently is that it's indicative of something that happens at a lot of Christian schools. One of the reasons I want to get out of Christian higher ed, and I did, was because no matter how hard we try sometimes to do the right thing, there is this cultural problem within many conservative Christian circles that makes it difficult for people to have their voices heard related to sexual assault. And uh, with that in mind, you know, we talked about this with, with uh, Emily Joy, about how at some schools... It's very hard to report on things that have been done to you if you were in a context in which you were breaking, say, the drinking laws, right? You're 22, you were drinking, but you're not allowed to drink on campus, and so sexual assault and drinking are both problems, and so they just try to make it all go away because everybody... Or blame the yeah, victim. Blame the victim, for sure. This is something that I believe happened to my grandmother at a church-related school. Uh, but in this case, there's a, a student named Mara Luke, and uh, this is a school in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, she was uh, 
banned from campus after reporting that a male classmate had assaulted her. And in this case, it was more violent, being choked. And while this might, you might say, hey, that's a, that's a unique example of a school that doesn't have the full networks. This is something I hear a lot from students around the country. Right. And uh, it's just worth just keeping an eye on these things. I don't need to dwell on it too much more other than to say this is an example of voices that are not heard because they get shut down by saying all sins are the same. We've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. This weird idea that's not even part of Christian theology, but it, it comes in. Everybody's a sinner, so we're not going to really take some of these very problematic behaviors. The other thing I would say is, uh, as a parent, if if your child comes to you and say, say they, what if they lied to you and said they were somewhere that they weren't, and and then this sort of incident happens, and then what they worry about with even telling you is the fact that you know, they lied about where they were or something like that so that they don't tell you because they don't trust that you can handle that piece of information right. without getting upset at them. Mm -hmm. That will just cause them to stuff this somewhere that it'll affect them the rest of their life. And so as a parent, we need to be able to listen to what our children are saying, no matter sort of what other things that they did right. that got, might've got judgment. them in that yeah. situation and I know that the instinct is to sort of get mad because, or it can be, because what I mean, what it is is you're frustrated. Like if you weren't there, this wouldn't have happened. Or you want to protect your child, and you weren't there and you couldn't protect them. And so then you, you know, you want to lash out at other things all around it. But I think for them to be able just to receive a very loving, you know, caring, just allow them to tell the whole truth of what happened without you getting upset is the only way that they really will be able to find healing through this. And, right. and we just have to be sensitive to how we come off as parents. How would we accept some of this information? And would we, you know, would we make, would we allow them to feel comfortable coming to us? And is that the kind of parent that we are or, or leader, you know, mm -hmm. you know, whoever it is. NBCnews.com uh, says this. Uh, quote, visible music college administrators told her they would not remove the accused student from her classes because police didn't arrest him, nor would they conduct a Title IX investigation because the alleged assault happened off campus. Mm. And administrators attempted to bar Luke from telling anyone else at the school that she had been raped. She said, quote, I just felt like, why did I even speak up? Uh, yeah. Luke 22 said, quote, that's Truly how I felt for a long time because everything seemed to keep getting worse. Yeah. That's not so a place sad. we want for kids. Right. And, uh, and, and that's why we care about this idea. So sometimes it's maybe just your own personal healing for your own story. Sometimes it's a very urgent situation. What I really liked about something we were, we were talking with Emily Joy offline uh, a while back. And I said, you know, you know, what do we, what do we do about this? And she reminded me, we don't really trust the system mm -hmm. to adjudicate whether something was okay. And I think we, that's a big problem too. Just because the police won't prosecute somebody, uh, whether it's based on evidence or whether they just are Lazy. uninterested. Well, right. I mean, in our case, um, just the other night, somebody was driving around and they're trying to steal 
our uh, they were trying to steal our catalytic, catalytic converter from our other car. Right. So that fortunately the neighbors kind of shoot them off, but ultimately we see them going through, and the neighbors know that they're going through, and the police aren't going to follow up on it unless something's in process. Right. Which they can never get here in time. Right. During the process, it takes like ten minutes before the nine nine one one even gets picked up. Sometimes. So in any case, um, these uh, these neighbors. And us, you know, we're kind of responsible in a, in a certain sense. It's kind of like the Wild West in we that all sense. We help each other out. Yeah, and but true we, neighborhood watch, yeah, really. Is, right. You know, you're, you're looking yes. out for your community, the people around you. and, and Shooing people out. Yeah. But the idea, and I think this is a big problem at, with college administrations, that by relying on police and whether they're willing to prosecute something, that also keeps people in uncomfortable situations, potentially dangerous situations. And I don't think certainly anybody would say this was handled well, but it's certainly something uh, to kind of keep on, uh, keep on the, uh, the back of our minds, at least as we think about if we're parents or administrators thinking in different ways about and making sure there are places, and this is the key, making sure there are safe places where people can report what's going on and have a certain kind of amnesty for other minor infractions, right? right. Like smoking or something. Smoking could be a $300 fine or, you know, that sort of thing. Another interesting story, the, the voice of, of a guy named Paul Stapleton is an interesting thing in the news. Paul Stapleton was an English professor at Concordia, Chicago. So that was a sister school. And interestingly, the president of Concordia University, Chicago, was the, uh, was the chair of the history department uh, before I was, uh, Rust on, and, uh, and uh, some other colleagues that have gone out there. Uh, so I don't know enough about the story itself. So I'm not really going to comment on it yet, and, and maybe we can even interview the people involved at some point down the line. But because it's in the news, on April 15th, the uh, Wednesday Journal of Oak Park and River Forest, that's a Chicago uh, outlet, uh, they have this article, uh, and it's titled, Concordia Students Protest Against Racism and Discrimination on Campus. Um, with signs, this is from the article, with signs that read, Be Not Afraid and Who Do You Serve, students at the protest held April 12th claimed that the River Forest-based university has become unwelcoming toward those of color and members of the LGBTQ plus community. Some also voiced concerns over recent changes made to CUC's mission statement, which they say no longer features the word, quote, diverse, end quote, and saw the removal of that word as one of the many red flags which reflect the way the university sees them. A student, quote, uh, we need to end racism at this school. Discrimination cannot be tolerated here anymore. Blacks, browns, doesn't matter. We do not need to take this any longer. We stand against racism, discrimination, and sexism. Now, I want to comment on this one, one piece of this, is it is a tricky business because um, I think we've got this larger question of whether or not we can create church-related colleges that are teaching and upholding certain, uh, or trying to uphold certain stances that they have on sexual ethics or, or whatever, you know. Um, and that may be the right of all Americans to have their own views. What happens when you then take those views and make them the, the template for life on campus in a, in a world where you're bringing in students that aren't Christian, perhaps, or they are, but they see it in a different way. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a tricky business. And, you know, for me, one of the reasons I got out, I, I certainly, uh, you know, could have, uh, 
could have been in a similar situation, just depending on how, how, how you want to play it. I just didn't know about this particular situation. But there was a professor that spoke about, uh, about this, and his name is uh, Stapleton. So Professor Stapleton um, is vocal about this, and he, and he was kind of standing with the students related to this issue of diversity when they were protesting. Um, but Stapleton uh, was, uh, Paul Stapleton, and his wife also worked there, um, he was a banned from campus mm-hmm. for speaking out against the, the school. What's interesting about where I've been with the Concordias is that you're allowed to have your own beliefs. The, the kind of the, the model for um, faculty academic freedom is that you're allowed to have your own beliefs and you're even allowed to discuss them in some closed contexts, but you're not allowed to speak against the church that sponsors the school. So you can think what you want, but you can't sometimes speak about it. And so here was a faculty member trying to advocate on behalf of LGBT and BIPOC students. And whatever he did, I don't know. So I got to look into it. But he then gets banned from campus. He comes back onto campus and uh, then he is he's arrested. Mm-hmm. So that's like something that makes the news. But in many ways, whatever Stapleton's situation was, it res- resembles my own in the sense that I started to feel uncomfortable about being able to be comfortably part of that. And there's different ways to to respond, different ways to engage it. But in this case, he engaged it with a kind of activism. Well, that, and, you know. and I would say that if, if he kept quiet and didn't come back on campus, it just allows if, if what, you know, if, if what, they're saying here is legitimately happening on that campus, then it's just going to allow it quietly to keep changing and those students to feel more and more uncomfortable. And the only time sometimes is somebody with that sort of position stepping out there and speaking up is the only way to maybe help bring attention to it and, and stop what is happening. It, it made the news. Yeah. And that now is interesting, it, it's right? out there, right? And, and if it was quietly yeah. just happening and diverse, the word diverse is leaving and maybe in an, you know, Again, we haven't looked into the situation, but if that is, if those, I will say this, there are students that are feeling uncomfortable there. Right. And that should be addressed. Right. No matter what that is. Right. I mean, I think that was, that was something that was important to me as I was looking at my involvement with church-related higher education. I came to realize I kind of know who they are. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if or how it would be possible to maintain some of these old traditional viewpoints and have a broad coalition of students. And the bigger issue is, for me, if you go to, say, a very, like a fundamentalist school, you kind of at least know what you're getting. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of difficult for students when they get mixed messages. Am I welcome here or not? Mm -hmm. Am I allowed to be here or not? And I think the rub for me was even just related to different religious traditions. If at a church-related school, everybody's welcome, you could be Muslim, but could you be Muslim and be a part of this international tra- travel trip? Mm-hmm. Could you be Muslim and be a part of the spiritual life on campus? Well, no. Or be a leader, really, be a student leader. Right, right. And uh, are those things stated? Are those things right. obvious? And so I, I think that's something that almost everybody in America is going to have to deal with because whether or not you care about this subject... There is probably, in bicycle distance to where you are, some kind of Christian college. Mm -hmm. And a lot of money is going into this, whether it's sometimes federal funds, but it's also donor funds and student tuition. There's a lot of business going on, and it's 
um, it's very, it's kind of like this different world from the rest of the world. And I would say that, and especially the more that you want to have programs such as athletics that, you know, bring you into certain athletic programs, then there's, there are some regulations from that program that come into being. And so if you want to be just a, a Christian college that is kind of isolated in your beliefs or something, that's one thing. But you start bringing in these other programs that everybody is supposed to be allowed to participate, for instance, NCAA or whatever, because there's a certain prestige that comes along with the students being able to participate and, co- and compete in uh, athletics on you know, that right. level. That also comes with its own rules. And so you have to be able to abide by that. And how do you walk that line? And you know, if you want to just be sort of like in your own little um, subculture... Well, then don't introduce those types of programs because then what kind of because the students that are going to come that are going to be part of that aren't going to be a part of the greater other Christian culture that you have going on. And it's it, you've got to figure out like where, you know, who, it, yeah. who are you and what is what is it that you're trying to accomplish? And you can't just sort of blanketly say everybody is uh, it, everybody's allowed, but then. Not in let practice, them not right. let them. Otherwise, you, you get lawsuits, you get, you know, all sorts right. of and students that shouldn't be put in a position right. where they are going to be made to feel uncomfortable. They just didn't realize that that was going to happen. And I also want to say that there is a there is a poignancy to the faculty and the administrators. I might have differences of opinion, and I do, uh, with my former colleagues that are that are there at the administrative level. But I also recognize they're put into a weird spot. I mean, this is we we talked about Concordia uh, Concordia here in Portland that gets shut down. It simultaneously is getting in trouble with the conservative element of the church for not upholding what they think they should uphold about student life policies. On the other hand, they're getting in trouble with the local community students and just public sentiment about being too restrictive. Mm-hmm. And this puts this also puts faculty into a dangerous situation where they're not sure what they're supposed to be upholding. And by lacking clarity there for the students, you also have a lack of clarity for faculty and they can accidentally hurt students uh, with the things they say. Yeah. Not really, not realizing which, which way to kind of be approaching right. things, you know. Right. Um, in any case, that's a story we're going to continue to follow. He's going to be in court on May 20th. So I bet uh, it'll be better maybe to talk about uh, this with him <laughs> if we, we get him on out. the show maybe after that. But, I'll, but we'll check in. And uh, by the way, if you know him, uh, you know, let's uh, help me get, uh, get connected. Uh, one last story about uh, voices uh, that are unheard. We can feel in America as if these are very tense situations, and they are. It's really scary. It was scary for a few days to say, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, not a few days. I don't know what I'm going to do for work. Um, I am going to, for the sake of conscience, not do what I was doing. But that puts me in a financially dangerous situation, a risky situation. Uh, here's Here's a faculty member who, whether you agree with him or not, was doing what his conscience told him to do. And he gets kicked off a of campus and it's going to hurt his career, perhaps. Well, what about Russia? Now, one of the things that, that is odd to me is that there is this kind of strand of support for Putin amongst people even that I run into in the United States that are kind of nationalists, ethnic nationalists of some sort, sometimes mm-hmm. white nationalists. I remember an Eastern Orthodox scholar I met at a conference saying that in America, there's a lot of these... Um, white nationalist, uh, kind of racist groups that are infiltrating church bodies, especially church bodies that have an ethnic identity, 
we have a little bit of this problem that we see and we've seen in the Lutheran world because of its Germanic and Nordic background. But the, the Eastern European Orthodox churches that would be bringing people together in communities that are all Russian or Ukrainian or Latvian or, you know, that sort of thing, people might go to church, not because they want to go to church, but because that's where you're going to meet other immigrant families with your own similar, similar stories. It's, it's a kind of a cultural connection. Sense of community. In those same places, there are times when that kind of nationalistic, um, and you could use that in a variety of ways, um, uh, spirit is there. In any case, it is interesting how authoritarians in the Christian world sometimes secretly or verbally like Putin because he's this macho guy that's going to bring about this great Christian, you know, kind of empire back, Mm -hmm. you know, reviving it. Uh, In any case, who's going to be put into a dangerous situation there? The the clergy, the priests. So there is one case, there's a a guy, uh, Johan Burden. This is from the Washington Post. The story is called Russian priest speaks out against war in Ukraine despite threats. And um, this is important. He writes, quote, I don't consider it possible to remain silent in this situation. Uh, it was about the Bible. If I remain silent, I'm not a priest. What he's saying is he is part of this Russian Orthodox church, and he is now in this dangerous situation where as a person speaking on behalf of what he thinks Jesus would want people to do and think, he is putting himself into a dangerous situation with the Kremlin. So only reason I wanted to mention that briefly is to say we, we, have, we have it kind of easier, I guess, in a certain sense, but it also, I think, is an opportunity for us in all of our walks of life to say if people can put their lives at risk as, as priests, say, in Russia, we definitely should stand up for the vulnerable, the people who are voiceless, and to be able to raise our voices, even if it means we might hurt our, our, our bank account, you know, if we're not going to get arrested, you know, or at least not arrested and stay in jail very long. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about voices. And now we want to go to the most interesting thing that I think we ran into this week. And that is the voice of somebody who probably stole our truck. Well, was <laughs> or at least was involved in that world. Occupied it for a while, yes. and definitely um, the last person, at least, to be uh, the possessor of our uh, Saint George. So let's back up a little bit. How do we find this? We we were talking to the inter, uh, to the insurance people, and the very last day before we were going to just call it, they call it a, a total loss, loss after yep. it being gone for three weeks. Three weeks. And so it was the night of basically the right before that. Well, it was. It was, it had actually, it was the night of, because it happened on a Wednesday and this is now three weeks later on a Wednesday night at about six or 7 PM. Then you get a call from the officer. It was a message because we didn't pick it up, but basically saying we found your truck. I have never been in so much contact with the police here lately. (laughs) 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 And so you said, well, we learned from last time because it got restolen. So, uh, this time just tow it straight to the the tow place you know the, right the, we can't the, just the kick people yard. out and then wait for it because they'll they'll take it again yeah right and so they tow it and we have no idea what condition it's in you said oh you know structurally it's mostly fine or whatever there's some bunch of stuff in the back and you know that kind of stuff so we have no idea what we're expecting when we go there but we drive to the towing place and the other thing i guess that i did not understand i did not really expect was um the 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 triggering because 
going back to a tow yard. The last time that I had gone back to the tow yard was in December when we went to go back to Augie's car and um, going and, uh, you know, having to hand over like the paperwork and the, you know, the different things from the police that I had to get and everything and say, you know, here, this is, I have a right to access this vehicle so that uh, Sydney can get her personal belongings out of the car. And one of the first things this guy is saying is he's looking at our, this is now for our truck, um, is, oh, the names match up. So this one's easy. And right. I'm like, the last time the names didn't match they up. Didn't, and yeah. and just like seeing all these vehicles that are in this like, you know, like terrible Smashed condition and, and everything. Yeah. It's kind and, of a PTSD, re-traumatizing situation. And, and so we're kind of, as we're standing there, we're kind of like looking and saying, you know, I'm looking around for where's the truck. And I guess I'm looking for, with the camper shell on it, yeah. you know, and it's a, it has a big footprint, you know? Yeah. And, and we're not seeing what that looks like. And then as usual, Pops is the way Jeff always sees, you know, there's our truck and he, you knew it didn't have the camper shell on it. Mm. And, um, you know, and, and I'm like kind of, you know, I'm with disbelief, you know, looking at the cars and I'm like, that could be it, but I don't think so. You know, mm. sounds like normal. That's what I do anyway. And, um, sure enough, we go over and then we see our car. And so the camper shell's not on there. There's what ice chests and water coolers in the back with, you they know. got themselves a tailgate of sorts that they fashioned. Yeah. Um, the inside of it was full of a bunch of miscellaneous bags, a lot of Gatorade for some reason, and just a bunch of syringes everywhere. Heroin. Yeah. Yeah, there, bags there of heroin. It was, again, a violating kind of experience. Here's somebody in our space and even just trying to look through and see what, what could be recovered. Basically, you, there was you, nothing. You're bumping into black tar heroin. And it just needles. Yeah, yeah I just didn't want to mess with it really, too much. You can't really dig around. I did get some things. So the, the, the upside is, I got some fun things from the thieves <laughs> that they left there. For instance, a, a a very nice ratchet set. That was good. They they stole my ratchet set, but the ratchet set that they had in there was nicer. So uh, I don't know how to get that back to whomever they probably stole it from. So I got a nice ratchet set, a headlamp that had not been uh, un, uh, undone. We left the Gatorade. So we left the Gatorade <laughs> yeah, we didn't that. need that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then we saw, we noticed a couple journals and we have always kept a bunch of journals in our truck and stuff. So part of it, one was, I thought one possibly could be ours. Uh, I knew the other one did not look like ours, but we just, nonetheless, we're like, we're grabbing these journals. Yeah. Might as well. It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, see what we're going to find. And the author of the grim, uh, the author of the journals calls himself or their self grim reaper. Yeah. Right. Now here's, that's the other thing too, is, um, Grim Reaper, but I think that this the journal I have in front of me I think was a little earlier than the second journal where he just goes over to just strictly Grim Reaper, uh, and he signs it Grim Reaper, aka Mather or mm. Matter. I, it's hard to read it, but I think it's maybe Mather, um, mm. and then and then eventually drops the the other part and then goes to just Grim Reaper. But I want to read one little part. Uh, that says, uh, overcoming all odds is the top of it. And it says, well, I've gave it some thought about changing my situation for the better. My life is okay. Can't really complain. My needs are met so far. My wants, well, the list keeps getting bigger by the day. So what the hell am I going to do with that? I'm not really satisfied with things. I'm hungry for power, knowledge, money, respect from those of this world. A king without a palace, kingdom, leader without anyone to lead. I'm a lost man and have a problem with my soul. 
it goes on, but like, yeah, that's just, it's interesting. It was, it was, it was kind of a weird, but powerful experience for us to say. So they stole whatever journal I had left in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they got to read our stuff. And that was kind of very intimate and violating. Right. They left of all the things that were in there. I, I already mentioned they stole some of our art, but they left Augie's frog sticker on the back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they also left protect your noggin magnets all over the inside. Mm-hmm. So they redecorated. I think I may have mentioned they had our, our mosquito net created a very beautiful little palace up on the, the, the bed up top. Mm-hmm. And they had put some very, I thought, very interesting poetry that they graffitied onto the window. Um, <laughs> and they, but they, they, they kind of got rid of a lot of things, but they just put the, the, the protect your noggin thing. They kind of liked that. It was everywhere. Well, it's interesting mm-hmm. too, because clearly this, is somebody that's often an unheard voice in society, but to kind of see their thought process and the internal struggle going on yeah. here, um, it's kind of interesting. So did you have more to read? Yeah, one more. And then um, it says, well, that sucked. Can't believe what's going in my life. Wait, sorry. Can't believe what's going on in my life is bullshit. Waste of time. Should not have gone and done what I did. Things are now worse than I... Then I knew it. I have not seen the darkness a day of my life. God doesn't really matter anymore because it's all a lie. No one cares about anyone else. They, it's either kiss or kill each other off. Kill. I think kill. Kill. I think it is kill. <laughs> they think it's cool, but it's not. People get hurt or they die. You like good in life while you use your spare time killing others. Why not? It's fun. And you only have to listen one person, spirit, soul, whatever. It's you and no one can take you out unless you allow it. This is no game to me. I'm addicted to pain, problems, murders, causing fires and storms, screaming, yelling. I hate, and it seems like respect. I hate respect. Fuck that. Wow. So that's a lot of electricity. Hmm. I mean, this is kind of, you know, That's scary, yeah. scary. I mean, it's, it's it, you know, and I, and I read other parts and he was talking about how he was going to go, um, he wanted to go back to California and go back to his wife possibly. Mm. And he thought he was going to get a new start. Um, that's one part of it. And then I think the journal that you have said is more recent. Yeah, the, this is the last journal he wrote. So eventually it tapers off, but it's very interesting. It says, hell, things are getting weird and really fucking stupid. No one is on the same page as me. People are playing games with me, using me, along with fucking with my mind, as I'm lost completely and don't know what to do. For now, I'm getting ready to move and disappear for good. Nothing nothing is ever going to be set right. I'll never find out about my grandfather or find my way back home. It's over along with this fucked up life of mine. Peace out for now. Grim Reaper. Here's another one. He was talking about his plans for the camper. So here I am getting my trailer ready for the move to the slab. Hopefully things work out just fine. I believe things will be just fine. LOL. So the move from 33 went well. Jogging is going to be the ideal thing to do. (laughs) Must continue with remodel on trailer as long as things go smoothly. Thank you, God. (laughs) Hopefully this job goes well. I pause there. So the first thing is, just this very week, I finished up my class on uh, anarchist theory and practice, and all of the students 
it was really fun because the students researched anarchist communities around the country and around the world and whether they worked or not. One of the ones that is still going that seems to have its kind of lasting sustainability of some sorts is Slab City in California. Not too far off from where we were. Kind of sad that we didn't go. Things happened. But uh, Slab City is where people just go down there. Sometimes it's retirees. Sometimes it's people that have kind of run out of options, but they're all living off the grid in the desert. And it is kind of the, the, the Zion for, you know, van life folks. Because I'm assuming that one of the things that you'd be dealing with is you're, you're living in a stolen vehicle or an abandoned vehicle, and then you get moved eventually by the police. They'll, they'll clear you out of one area, and then you move to another area. And so that is constantly in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. If you go to Slab City, or really where we were sometimes hanging out in Joshua Tree, there's mm-hmm. a few places on BLM land where people just kind of let you, you hunker down for a while. That's at least a space that is a little more stable. And so I am not saying this person is in a good spiritual place at all. Definitely I'm not sure. And he's not, I mean, it sounds like what? he's confessing to maybe being a, a murderer. And, yeah. And I have something is like, oh. so the, uh, the idea though is his Zion, he's like, in a certain sense, he's praying. He's like kind of struggling with God. He wants to be, he wants to have money and power and, and, and security and whatever empowerment. He's going to go do it by getting to slab city. How does he get to Slab City? He's got to be in our vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. And he is going to, I think, what I'm gathering from these is he's going to remodel it. He's going to get this thing dialed in. He could probably sell the back of our truck. We put down to the insurance company, unfortunately, only $5,000, but I'm sure he could get seven to 8000 for it if he... Or even more. Does, maybe, if, he, if he's going to, you know, you know, doll it up, sell that. And then what I think he did, and I think he did sell it because then the, the, the camper part was gone. And then by getting that money, he's able to make a new life for himself in Zion, which is Slab City. So in other words, he's going to go as relatively rich in Slab City with some cash in hand. He obviously then probably used this to get some heroin. Maybe he was going to use Definitely. this as, as uh, for himself, but also as a commodity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so I'm not excusing it, but we're living in this world where people are at the brink of hopelessness. Yeah. And our truck was not only something that was really important, at least for Stacy and I, it was going to be our salvation mm-hmm. of how we we're going to live in this world without full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is true for the person who stole it mm-hmm. or the person who got it after somebody else stole it. Mm-hmm. And he's going to then try to take this to an anarchist uh, uh, camp in California. It's just interesting that we're now intersecting Mm-hmm. And that this same truck is so important to both of us in different ways. Yeah. But continue, yeah. Stacey. Well, and one of the, just as a summary, because you know, the writing is kind of hard sometimes to decipher, but one of the things that he mentions in the journal is that uh, it doesn't really matter how much he's drinking or what drugs he's doing. It no longer has an effect on his body, he's mm-hmm. saying, that it's like kind of numb to it. And, his, and it, he says his body rejects it. And he doesn't have the same feeling that was, it was offering for him before. He also said that, uh, he saw um, into the the darkness of what's going to become of him in the afterlife. Mm. And wow. he said that uh, it was so dark, he wouldn't wish it upon his uh, worst enemy. Mm. Wow. And he said that that's also kind of making him like 
crazy in this life because he's worried about what he's going on to this next life. And yeah. so he was saying, I've got to do something about this. I've got to, I've got to fix myself. He doesn't know how to turn it around before I die because yeah. what the window of what he saw, he said was so dark that he didn't even know how to describe it, Yeah, wow. but that he wouldn't wish it upon his worst enemy. Hey, That's Grim horrifying. Reaper, if you're listening uh, <laughs> again, we're not, not a fan of, uh, of theft. <laughs> and, yeah, and, that's uh, not ideal. And definitely not some of the the darker things that are there, but um, there I say, is I mean, redemption. You, Let's and you can get. I guess I mean part of for me, like you know, there's the the piece that just there's that violation. It feels like you know how could you know obviously stealing somebody else's stuff. There's you know it's not really the way uh, forward. You would say. I mean, it's just. But like, he's then you, not thinking rationally. Well, and then you look at like the journal. I mean, there's obviously, a, obviously, there's mental health issues and, mm-hmm. and drug addiction and all mm-hmm. sorts of things. But uh, you know, you, you look at like the pieces that got that person to where they are, and he they, can't find his way back home. And, and he can't, right. and he can't find the way back home. And so, yeah. So I think that you know, the, these whole like it's easy just to say, oh, that person is terrible. Oh, yeah. They should go to jail or whatever. Mm-hmm. But how did they get there? Right. You know, yeah. what, they must have been through some struggles. What yeah. in society happened? What in their life happened that that becomes where they? This is clearly somebody who needs help. Yes. You know? And so much love and peace to you, man. I mean, yeah. hope, hope, hoping that you can find whatever you're looking for and not see that that hellscape in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So there's to, a few yeah. more. Yeah, They're kind go. of just interesting. Yeah. Okay. So this one says, "Hello there, world. Hope all is good." Please don't forget to breathe and enjoy life while going through hell. Mistakes happen, yes. People get hurt, lost, forgotten. But that's the darkness about a man that just can't control what really is going on with his soul. Yeah, so this entry is titled Empty Grave by Zach Williams. And then underneath a couple lines says, So running out of gas sucks, LOL, but truck is safe. By being me, life is a challenge. But the freedom is today. By the Lord Almighty, things are okay. Hope all comes to be all right. Hesitant on having my truck here, the people will steal it again. <laughs> yeah, like how he's afraid of it yeah. being Everybody's stolen just again. Stealing it from everybody. Wow. Yeah. That must be it, too. Yeah, it's, you know. it probably changes over many hands. And then one of the things that keeps coming up for, for him is running out of gas because that is... The F-350 at $5 a gallon, that's going to be really hard to have enough money to get down to Slab City. Yeah, and he's like, hey, things are getting weird. I think they are all up to no good. I want to put gas in here but have no money. This sucks. Don't want to love my truck because the people will steal it. Probably leave my truck. Oh, leave, yes. I don't want to leave my truck because people will steal it. Hard day, I will say... Uh, I'm alive and I'm okay. So Keith owes me money. I must get that from him. I don't have much for sale. Well, the phone, yes, I can do that. So I'm resetting my phone to sell it and get money. 30 bucks should do the trick, hopefully. I'm trying not to blame others. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So here's this, you know, like this, all these struggles, but it is interesting that we're worried about RKR truck got stolen, and here he is. Well, he's worried it, other people can steal his so, truck. So yeah. our, our truck, which is got, our truck, our truck got stolen, and then we found it. Maybe he stole it from the person who stole it, and then it got restolen. <laughs> yeah, right. So I don't know who restole it, uh-huh. right? Because that's a whole other thing. And then <laughs> now apparently yeah. he ends up with it, and is so worried about it getting stolen from him. So yeah. I don't know, like. 
you're always, I guess, you know, you can always be looking behind your back at, you know, who else is going to right. come along and, and, and take, you know, take your stuff. Right. And yeah. And I guess like that, what is hard is an older vehicle. So it's a lot easier to break into and, and go ahead and, you know, like get in there and then, and then even just to, I guess, get it running. And apparently what, what, I don't think you read the part where he was talking about how he has to put it into neutral to get it to move now. Yeah. So they must have jacked it up a little bit. So now the drivetrain's thrown off. And so all these problems related to the stolen truck. Which is going to take more money. And he already is having a hard time coming up with the gas. So his view, his future of getting to Slab City was getting further and further. Yeah. uh, You kind of see that. Yeah. I don't think he made it there. Oh, I know he didn't make it there yet. (laughs) Not not with this truck, obviously. And he certainly, he certainly didn't mean to leave his drugs and journals in the truck. No, no. He thought he was coming back to that. Yeah, so who yeah, knows? Yeah, there was you know, the all of his all in. of his stuff was in there. Like yeah. a backpack. We didn't even open up the backpacks to see yeah. what was in there. Probably like, best not to. Oh, I know. Bags and bags of heroin. Yeah. yeah Syringes but I think stuffed everywhere. It's interesting because then like it seemed like that was his life. We even have the journals, right? Yeah. And uh, there was a watch just yeah. sitting there, you know, in the console. And um, yeah, this was definitely not expected when, when it left him and it. it took all of his possessions that he had. So I don't even know, you know, where he is or what he did. Yeah. Anyway. Well, there's two more. They're both short. For this all comes to an end soon. How soon? We don't really know. But that's all we come to know. And life gives us all one hell of a go. It's up to us ourselves to finish how we really want it to go, good or bad. I'm in love with life itself. Why? Because we cannot dictate what's going to happen at any point in time. And then the last one, I mean, kind of worries me. It's the last thing written in this journal. There's a lot of empty pages still. But he drew a picture of a tree, and he wrote on the tree, waste of time, LOL. And then there's a little short sentence that says, broken as can be, I believe going nowhere is not an option. Must leave as soon as possible. Peace out. One other thing I found in this one here, too, was, so it looks like I'm going to need a new truck or fix driveline. Must kick it into neutral, it says. Fix truck, get out of here. So that's probably why he ended up getting our truck, because he needed a new truck. Unless the truck that, unless our truck got jacked. Maybe, because it The drivetrain wasn't working. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, one part here, hope. Not uh, hope is not lost or forgotten. Faith is always there, even when stepping out into something. Faith, and then it says, "So breathe, so breathe, so breathe, so breathe, so breathe, so breathe." What's interesting to me too is he talks a lot about God and heaven and hell and um, Satan. So clearly, this person comes from some sort of religious background. Yeah, that's the that's and the is world. probably deeply traumatized by that. Yeah, the fear of the fear of hell itself is yeah. an interesting thing, and and that's that's what kind of leads me to I think, kind of the big point of why it's important to listen, and to think about people in hell and hear those voices from hell and just acknowledge it. It's it's not going to do us any good to close our ears to it. But there's two images that really, I think, are powerful for me uh, in this this mythological uh, framework. Uh, uh, when I say myth, it doesn't mean falsehood. It means these symbolic narrative and, and image ways of making sense of the stuff that's going on inside of us. 
The first is Jesus harrowing of hell, or sometimes called the harrowing of Hades. I have an icon of it, and it's one of the oldest images related to Jesus, and it's this part of the church that some Christians find uncomfortable, where there's this idea that Jesus descends into hell or goes into the underworld. The idea is that uh, this older image of Jesus going in and then pulling by the hand all of the people out of the graves and emptying hell. It's a very provocative thing, especially for people who emphasize the idea maybe that 90% of all human beings ever and ever will be are going to go to hell, except for the, the few people that get you know saved and go to heaven. There's this other idea that you find sometimes of a kind of universal redemption, even people like Origen of Alexandria speculating that there's no moral universe if even Satan is eternally cast mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. right, in this, this universe. And there's another image of that that's very similar and, and arguably a combination of maybe the Jesus story with Mother Mary uh, after Nestorian Christians came and influenced uh, the Taoists and the Buddhists in China, maybe around 800. And that is this Guanyin. The story of Guanyin is one where she is executed by the orders of her father. She goes down into hell. But do you, either of you remember what she does when she gets to hell? Um, it's something positive. I think she's like there for everybody. She, she, she puts out the fires of hell with her tears. Oh, wow. That's right. That's pretty She douses it. I envision it more like, um, I, when you were thinking about it, it was, my answer was going to be more like, you know, like maybe like a nurse tends to the sick, especially like a, that's yeah. what a I was war. Well, and that's what she but did it. The, that's the, what it was. Yeah. The, the Miao Shan, care of the old gotcha. as a girl, like, so, so Miao Shan in the, in the story <laughs> is the embodiment of Avalokiteshvara, who is the same basically as uh, Quan Yin, Quan Yin. Uh, but the idea is that this goddess is so powerful in Asia because she is known as the one who can hear the suffering. And then put her the fire out with her tears. To Sometimes we say, I don't want to hear their suffering because I disapprove of it. I can't listen to it because I read this journal and this journal is from somebody who's doing bad things. And so I ignore it. That doesn't help you at all. Or there are people that are that are sad at a Christian university, and but they're wrong. They're protesting against the authority, so I don't want to hear that. That's not really a good way to go. It doesn't, you know, you can you can kind of hold your views in tension with this, but not listening to the voices of your children, your coworkers, people that you don't even know that are trying to speak out in various ways. If you don't listen you're going to end up having to listen. And it could be in the form of violence, vandalism, protest. It, there, there are all sorts of ways that people eventually have to get their voices heard. And sometimes they're in destructive ways. Mm-hmm. So the more that we can listen to one another, the better we have, uh, the better chance we have of being able to bring, I think, heal into the world. Yes. Yes. And listening, refraining from judgment, just listening, just hearing. Right. And there's things in there. I mean, even if you disapprove of parts of it, but like just go past that and hear what they have to say. Because then that's when you, know, you, you can really get into, you know, where where the real problems lie. <laughs> you know? Yeah, if you're coming from a place of judgment right away, you're already not listening, you know. And you're not going to be able to even 
start to even get to how how do we how do we do how do we find the healing how do we change things because we've we've stopped we've stopped hearing where the problems were and you dear listener cultivate your own voice even if it's just for now doing your own journaling really powerful write your narrative and if you've got a story to share go on to protectyournoggin.org you can give us something in f- in the form of clicking on the button and sharing a voice message. You can send us an email. We have a few that we're going to be addressing very soon. We're just compiling them because right. we're excited to get back to all of those of you who have uh, written in or uh, sent voice messages. We're coming to that. Yeah, really and soon. so if you do have something, now's the time because we will put it in with that show as well. <laughs> you know, all at once. I think we could do like a whole catch up with you know what what our listeners are saying. Yeah. So. Well, thank you, everybody, for being with us. Uh, And in the meantime, peace upon peace. Uh, Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said that wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter low too much.